Please take your Bibles and turn to the book of James, chapter 1, James 1. We had uh, one opportunity, our first opportunity to look at the book of James, and we'll turn to that again this morning as we take the next uh, three verses in chapter 1. We'll uh, read uh, verses 1 through 4. Um, James is a, is a very practical book. We talked about that, and, and it just deals with such a, a wide variety of subjects, and it's, it's very helpful in how we understand and, and approach and live our Christian life. It's really, um, it's, it's very applicable to our lives. It's, it's a rubber-meets-the-road kind of book. So um, as we look at it this morning, I, I think it's something that will resonate with all of us as we look at this, the, the subject of trials and, and understanding uh, what God is doing in the midst of our trials. So um, we will read this, but before we do, let us bow and ask God's blessing upon the reading and the preaching of His Holy Word. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. You have given it to us, and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished to all good works. And we ask that you would make it effective in our hearts and in our lives, that we might understand more who you are and what you are doing even in our trials, Lord, we ask. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. James 1 We'll begin with verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Amen. And we praise God that He has spoken to us in His holy and an errant word this morning. Recently, on September 11th, we commemorated the 17th anniversary of what is known as the worst terrorist attack on U.S. soil in the history of our nation. I'm sure most of you, if unless you were very young at that time, know where you were and could remember exactly the events of that day as they unfolded before us on the TV screen. Even if you didn't know anyone directly affected by that tragic event, you know the trial that it was to us as a nation, as a whole, and certainly our hearts went out to those that were so greatly affected by that, those left injured and grieving at the death and devastation. Now, on a very different note, my daughter sprained her ankle a few weeks ago at volleyball practice. Now, those things, when we put those two things side by side, they seem certainly incongruous and 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 it, it seems insensitive and really silly to put them side by side and I don't for a moment suggest that they're similar except to say that they can both be trials because our trials are so varied in our life. So they our trials come in big and small packages. But what is our reaction to trials? When trials come, how do we look at them? When we're drawn through deep, dark waters, do we Do we murmur? Do we complain? Do we question? Does it sometimes breed anger and resentment in us? Or do we see God's hand in those trials, not only as being with us, but sovereignly designing those trials for us for our good? 
The text before us this morning helps us as God's children understand the purpose of our trials, whether they're large or small. God uses trials in the lives of His children to grow, sanctify, and perfect them that they might bring Him glory. Let me say that again. God uses trials in the lives of His children to grow, sanctify, and perfect them that they might bring Him glory. In verses 2 to 4, we see three things that teach us how God is at work in our trials. First, we see simply that trials are sure to come. Secondly, we see that trials test our faith. And last, we see that trials bring maturity. Perhaps at the outset, it would be helpful if we just defined a trial. One has said a trial is suffering that puts puts the patience of faith to the test. I think that's biblical. Another has said a trial is defined as an unpleasant or painful circumstance that God uses in the lives of His children to test and build their faith. But the first thing we want to notice is that trials are sure to come. That is just a given in our text this morning. It says that we are to count it all joy when we meet trials of various times. When is the operative word here. It doesn't say if, it says when we meet trials. We know that trials will come. 1 Peter 4 gives us a similar admonition where he tells us, Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though some strange thing were happening to you. We should not be surprised by trials because James and Peter and the rest of Scripture and the examples of of people in Scripture show us that trials are part of our Christian life. I think for most of us, we're not typically surprised by the little trials by the sprained ankles, the missed day of work due to a cold, the ever-present Houston traffic, or the humidity of Houston, for that matter as well. But we're often surprised by the big ones, the tragedies, the floods, the, the, the life-changing diagnosis from the doctor. But we see that our trials come in large and small, many and varied packages. The word various there in verse 2 means diverse, many-colored, or complex. Isn't that true of the trials that we meet? Sometimes we look at the events of our life, and sometimes we are able to reflect on the events of others, and we think, how bizarre is this? We couldn't have written a crazier story of a trial that could come upon a person. Our trials are so diverse and so varied. The text also talks about, in the ESV, about meeting trials. Well, I think it would be helpful if we looked at another version, which is the King James, which says that we sometimes fall into a trial. I think that's helpful because that word in the original is the same word that Luke uses about the traveler on the road where he fell among thieves in the story that we know as the story of the Good Samaritan. But this traveler fell among thieves. He was surrounded by them. He was overcome by them. He wasn't expecting to, be, to fall among thieves on that day, but that is what happened. They surrounded him, and that's how our trials often feel. They feel like they're, they're surprising us, they're overpowering us, they're encompassing us even. The Apostle Paul lists some of the varieties of the trials that he had faced, and, and it's just a, a, a statistical list of the things that happened when he says, I won't read the whole list, but you know, if you've read it before, you're familiar with it from 2 Corinthians 11. He says, five times 
I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, dangers from my own people. And he goes on and on with all these dangers. And we're just kind of left reeling at all the things that happened to the Apostle Paul in his life of service to God. He faced many and varied trials. But why must we face so many trials? Well, I think the book of James here in these few verses helps us understand that. So let's continue. What do we do with our trials? Well, he tells us that, first of all. He says we should count it all joy. The NASB says that we should consider it. Now, when you think about the word consider, you think about thinking about something. You think about reflecting upon it. And I think we need to do that with our trials. We need to not just wrestle with them, but we need to think about what God is doing in them. And we need to be reminded that God has a purpose in them. If we are to react properly and godly in times of trial, we must be mentally engaged. We must engage our trials with joy. Now, joy is not the same thing as happiness. Don't think for a minute that those deep, dark waters through which God calls you to go are supposed to make you happy in the sense that we typically think of it. The word joy, as one commentator has said, is a settled contentment in every situation. Or another has said, an unnatural reaction of deep, steady, and unadulterated, excuse me, unadulterated, thankful trust in God. A deep and steady trust in God. That's the joy he's talking about here. But how do we do that? How do we do that? Because trials hurt. Trials are painful. They're dark. They're unpleasant. Well, we do this because we know that God is in them. God is at work in our trials. He's he's using our trials. He's using them to conform us to Christ. Elizabeth Elliot has said, God will not protect you from anything that will make you more like Jesus. God will not protect you from anything that will make you more like Jesus. That's why we have trials in our lives to conform us to Christ. And that brings us to our second point, that trials test our faith. Faith. Verse 3 says... For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. There's a purpose, and God is working out that purpose. Acts 17 reminds us that God has sovereignly ordained everything in our life. Where, when we would be born, when we would die, where we would live, and every boundary of our dwelling place, the Apostle Paul says, under the inspiration of the Spirit in chapter 17 of, of Acts. God is sovereign. He has a purpose, and God is working that out in our trials. And those trials test our faith, the text says. Now, what is the purpose of testing? Well, I think there's two aspects of it. The first is to ensure the integrity of something. I came from a manufacturing background, and and in in the aircraft world, everything had to be tested. They wanted to make sure the parts we were making were not going to fly apart in the air. That's a good thing, okay? So they, they had to test those parts to make sure those parts were built the way they should and could withstand the forces upon them. Just like the x-ray of a pipeline seeks to determine if a pipe will withstand the pressure over time 
of how it's going to be used. So our faith is tested to see if it's genuine or not. And the second thing I think is, and and perhaps this is more in view here, is to increase the purity of something. When we think of testing, it often is used to increase the purity of something. It's something akin to the smelting and the refinement of gold or some precious metal. When gold is mined from the from the ground, it comes not in the pure state, but in the ore state. It has to be ground. It has to be broken up. It has to be heated. It has to have catalysts put into it to refine it and bring the pureness and the beauty of it. And then the result is that beauty, the purity, the strength in that metal. And when a metallurgist or a, or a miner looks at that ore, they see the beauty of the metal. They see the gold in it. If you've ever seen those TV shows that when they're mining for gold, they can look at a chunk of ore and see the gold in it. And you see the excitement because of the, of the rarity and the value of that gold. But of course, there's dross in it as well. That dross has to be removed. And in a similar way, Christ looks at us and sees the beauty and, and sees Christ in us by the work of the Spirit, but he also sees the dross within us. And we need the heat of our trials to refine us. Now, as I was preparing for this and thinking about this, um, uh, another commentator pointed out, and I think it bears pointing out to myself and to the rest of us, if you think that you don't have dross, well, just ask your spouse. Parents, if you think you don't have dross in your life, ask your children. Children, if you think you don't have dross, ask your parents. We have dross within us that needs refined. And the refinement comes in the heat of the trials. Do you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself? We don't do that perfectly. We need God's refinement in us. The purpose of our trials is to purify us, to test our faith, to increase the purity in us. But there's also comfort that we should take in the midst of trials. And this comes from Thomas Manton, the Puritan writer, in his commentary on James. And he lists things that I think we need to remember when, they're in, when we're in the heat, when we're in that process of refinement of our trials. He says, first of all, that God's aim in your affliction is not destruction, but trial. Just as gold is put into a furnace not to be consumed, but to be refined. The time of the trial, he says also, is appointed. God does not seek to complete all of the refinement at one time. And that's encouraging as well. And this one is my favorite. He says also that God sits by the furnace, looking after his metal. Malachi 3.3 says, He will sit as a refiner and as a purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings to the Lord. God is in the business of making his children holy, and he tends that fire carefully and will not leave us in the heat any longer than we need to. 
Now, I have not seen the refinement of gold firsthand, but as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about the skill of those who make beautiful things from glass. I don't know, I, when we were in Kansas, we would sometimes go to Silver Dollar City and see the craftsmen there. And you see those men and, and art craftsmen that are making something beautiful out of glass. And when they start, it's just a, a lump of glass on the end of a pipe. And they put it in the heat and it glows red and they blow on it and they move it around and they shape it and they twist it. And when they are done, they score it and break off the thing that they're making. And then you see the beauty that has come out of it as they have worked and tended it in the heat. If they leave it in too long, it will fall off into the fire and be ruined. If they don't heat it up enough, it won't bend and be malleable to make the beautiful thing that they want for it. And so like them, God sits by the furnace of our affliction and our trials and tends it to make sure that we are refined as we need to be. Lastly, Manton says that the trial is not only to approve, but to improve us. Job said, he knows the way that I take, and when he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. God is not only with you in your trial, but he's working in you to make you holy, to remove the dross from you. And then what is the result of that? Well, the result is steadfastness, as it says in verse 4. Let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Well, what is steadfastness? Paul Tripp has pointed out that there's two facets of this to help us understand this. One, it is having a fixed direction, and two, it is having a firmness of purpose. A fixed direction and a firmness of purpose. Well, when we come to Christ, we surrender our lives to Him. We turn from sin to follow Christ. We become His disciple. We are followers, and we are fixed upon Him as our Master, and we follow Him. The firmness of purpose, we recognize that that we follow His plans. We're not following our own selfish plans anymore. We're living for God in His grand design. We understand in our firmness of purpose that God is sovereign over every part of His creation and He is working out His plan for His glory and it is a beautiful thing. And we fit into that, yet we cannot see the ways in which we fit into it. God is at work and we're part of that work. God's law guides us and tells us how to live pleasing to Him. Because of the settled purpose that we have, we have a reason for living in a certain way. It means that we, we act differently. We treat our spouse differently. We interact with our co-workers differently. We should be different employees, different husbands, different wives, different children because of that firmness of purpose, that steadfastness as we are following God. In the face of difficulty, we don't abandon that direction. We don't forsake that purpose. The steadfast heart is produced by the grace of God working through the testing that comes through trials. Tripp said, God will take you where you did not intend to go to produce in you what you could not do on your own. As we look at trials, we think, no way would I have chosen this. But yet we recognize that God is working something in us that we could not do otherwise. Now we often think somehow that we could circumvent God's purposes and His plan and think, 
I wish I could just read a book or, or get a download or something to learn this lesson. But we don't work that way, dear saints of God. We need, we need the trials. That's a hard thing to, to hear. But we need what God is doing in us through the trials. God gives us our trials to accomplish this steadfastness in us. And that's why I think that, that, our, that our trials are so varied. Because God works us in us in different ways through different trials. When I was, uh, after 9-11, I was working at, at Boeing in Wichita, Kansas at that time. And they announced massive layoffs. And, and um, I dodged the first round and I dodged the second round. And everybody told me, you're going to get laid off. And I thought somehow I was going to continue to dodge it, and, and maybe I wouldn't. Well, as the Lord would have it, um, I did get laid off in, in the summer of 2002. And I confess to you that that was one of the darkest valleys of my life. As I faced that trial, and as I, as I tried to find work and, and couldn't feel like I felt found, could find meaningful work that provided for my family... Um, and, and actually was underemployed for most of that time. And I confess that, that I wrestled with that. I wrestled with why it happened and why it, it appeared that other people were, were able to exist comfortably in, in, in a job that provided well for their family. But, but the call of steadfastness calls us to let our trials have... It's full effect. We are called to patiently bear up under our trials, knowing that God is in them. We are to remember that He is working all things for our good if we love Him and are called according to His purpose, Romans 8 says. James tells us that there is something being produced in us by those trials. There's something going on even if we can't see it. And it also suggests that we can, to some degree, thwart the design of those trials. That's why we must consider our reaction to the trials. Do we resort to anger? Do we respond in envy and pride? Don't short-circuit God's purpose in your trials. Our response to trials reveals, really reveals where our true love, where our real allegiance lies. Is our security in, in the sovereign God who is designing all things for our good? Or is our security in things? Is our security in the things that, that we have that makes us comfortable? Would you rather be happy or holy? Would you rather be affirmed by others or approved by the one who loved you and died for you? Would you rather live a life of comfort and prosperity or learn to rely upon God and learn to trust in His promises? As I said, I confess that when, when I went through that valley of, of unemployment and underemployment, I was wrestling with that because I wanted that comfort and prosperity. I didn't want to have to rely on others for help. But God in His mercy left me in that situation for almost three years. And the interesting thing was, is when I got that call back, when they called me back to work, it came as a surprise to me. And I realized that I had finally come to terms with God's trials, with God's call upon me, and that I was resting in that. That I was letting that have its full effect in me without even knowing it. 
But And just as the refiner will sit by the fire and not allow the metal to get too hot, so God will stay by the fire in which we are being refined to keep us from suffering too much. But aren't you glad God doesn't remove all the dross at once? Because that would be incredibly painful, wouldn't it? No, He gives us a fire, a trial to shape us, to improve us, to mold us, to bring us through more refined and more conformed to the image of His Son. We must always seek to see our trials through the lens of Scripture and through God's goodness and sovereignty. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking about how my parents and grandparents often um, seem to, anyway, seem to think about their trials. And I thought about that old gospel song, um, Farther Along, we'll know all about it. Some of you probably know it. But the first verse says, Tempted and tried, we're oft made to wonder why it should be thus all the day long, while there are others living about us, never molested, though in the wrong. And it seemed to kind of encapsulate the, the, um, the approach of my grandparents' generation, and, and they have rightly been called the greatest generation because they lived through the Depression and, and world wars. But I don't know that they necessarily had a full, complete understanding of trials. Yes, they were resigned to them, but yet they didn't always, I don't think they always saw that God was working in them. And saints of God, that is a hard thing to consider because our trials are so dark and so, so trying at times. But we must rest assured that God is at work. I read a, a pastor said recently, he said, Our sovereign God sends storms to put us on our knees, to remind us of our weakness, strengthen our faith in His unfailing promises, and loosen our grip upon this world and all our possessions. Every storm whether literal or metaphorical, is designed to drive us to Christ. The pastor that said that lived in Char- lives in Charleston, South Carolina, and wrote that as Hurricane Florence was approaching. And that's so true, that every storm, whether literal or metaphorical, is designed to drive us to Christ. God will continue His work in us until we are received into glory and our steadfastness is complete. He is at work. He will keep on working to shower you with more grace and continue to refine you so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We are being made perfect by His grace and through our trials. But the fulfillment and the completion of that will only occur when we enter heaven. As I close, I want to leave you with the words of a song by Keith and Kristen Getty that has been an encouragement to me. It's called, When Trials Come. When trials come, no longer fear, for in the pain our God draws near. To fire a faith worth more than gold, and there His faithfulness is told. Within the night I know your peace. The breath of God brings strength to me. And new each morning mercy flows as treasures of the darkness grow. I turn to wisdom, not my own, for every battle you have known. My confidence will rest in you. Your love endures. Your ways are good. When I am weary with the cost, I see the triumph of the cross. So in its shadow I shall run till he completes the work begun. One day all things will be made new. 
I'll see the hope you called me to, and in your kingdom paved with gold, I'll praise your faithfulness of old. Amen. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you that you are at work in everything, that you are sovereign, that you are working all things for your glory and for our good. And Lord, I know that as we think about these things, we don't want to fail to recognize the pain and the grief and the darkness of some of the trials through which you call us. We pray that in those moments that we would Be strong to trust in you, to know that you are accomplishing your purposes in us, that you are working steadfastness in us, and you are purifying us and refining us. Give us grace to trust your goodness and your power and your wisdom to give us good things, even when they come in ways that we don't recognize and are painful for us as humans upon this earth. Lord, we thank you for your word and the way it teaches us. Give us grace to trust you more, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.